Once upon a time, there was a king who was the greatest king in all of the realm. There was no other ruler greater than this. And statesmen would tremble before the presence of his majesty. This king had the power to destroy all of his opponents with a word. That's how powerful this almighty king was. And this king had a heart that just melted in love for a maiden, a humble commoner. He wanted to bring her into his palace. He wanted to declare his love for her, but how would he do this? How would he do this? I mean, he could summons her to his court. He could adorn her with the robes of royalty. He could order her by divine decree to love him. But would she? Would she? Uh, He did not want a subject that would cringe in the presence of his almighty authority. He did not want a subject that could do nothing but agree with everything he said and did. He, He wanted not a subject, he wanted an equal. He wanted a queen. That's what he wanted. He he wanted the unequal, his royalty, her poverty, to be equal. That's what he wanted. How was this going to happen? And it was decided that the only way, the only way that she would become his equal would be for first him to become her equal. And so one night, while the entire kingdom slept, this almighty king took off his crown put down his scepter, took off his royal robes, stepped away from the throne, and he put on common, tattered, gamey, peasant clothing. And he snuck out in the middle of the night through the servant's entrance while the kingdom slept. And the next morning, as the sun rose in the east, this young maiden arose, walked out of her cottage, and looked over at a little clearing in the woods, and she saw a stranger, someone that she'd never seen before, He had a kindly smile, and he asked if he could have a conversation with her so that he could court her, so that he could marry her. Well, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? Isn't it? The the, the story of 
how royalty became poverty so that we, through the poverty of the Almighty King, might become royalty. That's the story of Christmas. And it's, that's how Soren Kierkegaard told the story of Christmas many, many years ago. But make no mistake, it's not a story. Luke tells us that. And that's what I want you to see as we look at today's passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, tell us the history, the eyewitness account about how the king left the kingdom to come to the commonplace of the peasants so that he could so that he could love his bride. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. You'll find Luke 1, 26 to 38 on page 723. And I want you to listen as Luke tells us. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Oh, this is no story, Luke tells us. No, no, this is... This is eyewitness testimony. I mean, Luke makes that very clear at the beginning of his gospel. Uh, You can see that early on in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as he talks about how many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And and, and just as they were handed down to us, verse 2, from those who were what? Eyewitnesses. Uh, And then Luke tells us how he did his own, uh, you know, CSI investigation. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke's been in touch with these eyewitnesses. He's talked about these eyewitnesses. This is no story. This is an account. This is a testimony. And uh, historians, all historians have an agenda when they write history. Every historian has, has an axe to grind. And Luke, he has an axe to grind too. He has an agenda to the history that he's giving. And we can see what it is in verse 4. So that you may know the certainty 
Luke says, I want you to know the certainty of what you've been taught. And so in these verses that we just read, Luke gives us certainty, certainty about messages, messages that we read in these passages, in these verses. Uh, There's certainty about the angel's message to Mary that I want us to hear. And, And then there's certainty about Mary's message, how her response was to what the angel had to say to her. And then, and then there's a message that we need to to pay attention to. There's a certainty that needs to come into our hearts and in our lives. If these verses are to come alive, if we are to know and live the certainty of what we've been taught. So that's where we're going this morning as we think through the certainties. The the answer to the question of our Advent reading, how long, O Lord, that, that is answered in these verses. And so let's first start with the angel's message and then we'll move to Mary's message and then we'll talk about the message that God has for us. Well, it's certain what this message that the angel gave to Mary was. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. Gabriel gives Mary the amazing news that she will give birth to Israel's long-awaited Messiah. What an amazing message this was. Gabriel told Mary not that her son would never die, but that her son would reign forever and ever. That, that the most high God would put on human flesh. And, and, and Mary's question was, was natural for any teenager. How can this be? You know, I don't, I, I've never had relations with a husband. The angel said, you don't need a husband. The Holy Spirit will come over you. The holiness of God will come upon you, and God himself will become a child. The chi- your child will be the God-man. G- Gabriel was telling Mary the mystery of godliness. God appeared in a body. That much is crystal clear about our faith, isn't it? About Christianity. That Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's fully human. He experienced all of the aches and hurts that we face in our humanity. He hungered. He thirsted. His muscles became sore. When he was a teenager, he had pimples. Yeah, that's what it means to be fully human. He had bad breath. Yeah, that's what it means to be fully human. And he was tempted in every way, just as we are. Whatever temptation you've ever faced, you may come into this room here and you may say, you know, um, you know, this is the kind of room that if they really knew the kind of temptations that I face, well, listen, let me tell you, there's no temptation that you've faced that Jesus hasn't faced. He was tempted in every way. He was fully human and fully divine, fully God, fully able to conquer sin, fully able to overcome temptation, fully able to defeat the, the evil one, the tempter, the grave, and fully qualified, 
fully human, fully divine, and fully qualified because he was free from sin. The message of the gospel is that Christ became what he came to redeem. Years ago, the Queen of England, the media had a a delicious time telling the story about the, the Queen of England's visit to the United States. Do you know what the Queen of England has to pack when she comes on a trip to the United States? Huh? 4,000 pounds of luggage. 4,000 pounds of luggage. Huh? 4,000 4, pounds of luggage. How much is that going to cost, John? Huh? <laughs> well, she's the queen. She's going to pay it. Two outfits for every occasion. Um, a morning outfit in case someone dies, 40 pints of plasma, uh, white kid leather toilet seat covers, because she's the queen. She, she brought her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. A brief visit of royalty to a foreign country can easily cost in excess of $20 million. God's visit took place in an animal shelter. No attendants present, nowhere to lay the newborn king without a feed trough. The animals probably outnumbered the humans. A mule could have stepped on him. You see, you see this amazing message from Gabriel also reveals to us the dark side of Christmas. And the dark side of Christmas is that God is never safe from us. God comes to us in such a way, one author put it this way, God comes to us in such a way that we can always turn him down, we can always reject him like we could crack a baby's skull like an eggshell, or we can nail him up on a cross when he gets too big for that. Do you hear what this message is saying? This, this message is saying something unique and glorious about our faith, and it's this, that that. Biblical Christianity says that that God is the most high God. Whatever faith system has to say about God, biblical Christianity says that Jesus is higher than that. He is the most high God, and he is the God who descended lower to the lowest than what any other faith system has to say about God. He is the highest of the high. He is, he's descended the lowest. And why? To save us, to rescue us, to leave the kingdom, to dawn on the clothes of a peasant so that he might appear before us. He came unto his own, the scripture says. Uh, the Bible says that our founder is not just a holy man or a prophet, but God himself. And given that certainty, you, you don't just respect Jesus. Given that certainty, Luke says, you don't just like Jesus. Oh, I like Jesus. No, no, that's not good enough. You worship him. You bow the knee before him. Because the founder of our faith is higher than what any other faith system has to say about God. And the founder of our faith descended lower than what any other faith system has to say about who God is. And he did that for us. And if you will just if you'll just internalize that into your heart and soul, if you will internalize the the dark side of Christmas, that 
God became vulnerable, then, then you'll be able to be vulnerable in your relationships, you see. See, what Christianity teaches is that there is, there, there's no way to enter into a personal relationship with someone without the risk of being hurt. You, you just can't, you know. Uh, in my 21 and a half years here at Windsor Road, I mean, I've done about 100 weddings. And as a part of that process, I meet with a couple for a season of premarital counseling or premarital conversations and we kind of look at the landscape of what a healthy biblical Christ exalting marriage looks like and so uh, uh, now this has not happened as of late but I, I do remember visiting with some couples where you know I, I will visit in, in my office and I'll just ask the question so why do you want to marry each other what's up with that tell me about that you know and and um uh, I'll, I, I'll hear from some couples. Uh, I mean, again, it hasn't happened of late, but I mean, I have heard, I'm not making this up, couples say to me things like, oh, well, we want to marry each other because we know everything there is to know about one another. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> Note to self. Um, or uh, something like this. Uh, oh, well, we, we, we want to marry each other because we are absolutely certain, sure, that we would never be able to hurt one another. And, okay, well, just give that a little time, okay? We're going to talk about that. I mean, that's just not, and that's just looking at it through those rose-colored glasses, right? Because you cannot enter into a personal relationship with someone without the risk of hurt, without being vulnerable can't you know and that's just not true in marriage is it it's true in friendship relationships right and it's also true in relationships within the church family you know some of you have come from um, experiences uh, maybe within this congregation or maybe from other congregations where you've been hurt you've been hurt and so your guards up right and you've said to yourself, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm going to be hurt. And, and I understand that. I totally get that. Can you please understand that the message of Christmas is that our God, our amazing, most high God, made himself vulnerable. And because he did that, once we understand the certainty of divine vulnerability, then perhaps we will be able to suffer, we will be able to make ourselves vulnerable, we will be able to make ourselves limited, we will be able to even experience unexplained and un un uncalled for or unjustified evil or suffering and know that in the midst of all of that, there is a most high God who descended most low and he is in control. Now that's a message that we need to hear even today from Gabriel. Hmm? Well, that's not the only message though. That's not the only message that we're hearing here. We hear the angel's message to Mary. We also hear Mary's message, right? Mary's message 
And, and, and her message was about what it looks like to humbly submit to the will of God, even when you don't understand everything. Now, it's interesting to note that the first person to doubt Jesus' birth was, was Mary. But how will this be? How will this be? And if you're a student of Luke chapter 1, you will know that uh, what Luke is doing, he's kind of giving us a parallel between the birth of John the Baptist. Look on page 723 in your church Bibles. You see it there in the subtitle. Uh, There's introduction, and then there's the birth of John the Baptist foretold, and then the birth of Jesus foretold. So you see they kind of jump back and forth and back and forth. And so... uh, prior to the birth of Jesus foretold is is the birth of John the Baptist. And it's the story of how uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, had this incredible uh, experience in the temple where an angel appeared to John, uh, to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and, and told about how uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, how Elizabeth was going to have a baby. Now that, that was not, that was not, a virgin conception like Mary. It was a natural conception from two people who were past the childbearing age. That was the kind of miracle that was. Uh, and, and so much so that when, when Zechariah, uh, uh, who was a priest, you know, his first response to, to, to that news was, what, how can this be? Is this ain't going to happen, you know? And, and, you know, the angel said to Zechariah, well, it is going to happen. Zachariah, and, and as a sign of the certainty that that's going to happen, your wife is going to enjoy a nine-month sabbatical from your mouth, buddy, because you didn't believe. And so, so, but, you, so but Mary also expressed some doubt. And so what, well, what's the deal with that? I mean, Zachariah expressed some doubt. Mary expressed, what, did, did Zachariah get a grumpy angel? Is that what that was about? And, <laughs> no. No, what we, learn in, what we learn in Luke chapter 1 is that the Bible teaches that there, there's, there's, the Bible teaches the subtlety of doubt, right? The subtlety of doubt. You see, there's a doubt that leads to an open mind. And then there's a doubt that leads to a closed mind. There is a doubt that's willing to follow the truth wherever it goes. And there's a doubt that says, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind's made up. There's a doubt that refuses to give up control. And then there's a doubt that's willing to yield and surrender. And Zechariah lost his voice because of the way he doubted. But Mary didn't. Mary didn't lose her voice. Mary found her voice. She found this One verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, that was the sermon in a sentence about her life. That was her autobiography. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She realized that she was the the beachhead of the divine invasion. And those words, those words are not just spiritual churchy words. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me. No, no, those words absolutely unraveled her life. Those words absolutely changed her life. She would never be the same. And she wasn't. I mean, what would it be, what would it be like to tell this 
this virgin conception story to her parents, right? Or to Joseph, or to the community there in Nazareth. What was that going to be like? Huh? Who would believe her? I'd recommend a really good book if you want to study about the life of Mary. It's called The Real Mary, and it's written by uh, Scott McKnight. Scott McKnight. Listen to what he says about Mary. Had Mary lived in Jerusalem, she could have been dragged to a public place in the city. Think John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery. Had Mary lived in Jerusalem, she could have been dragged to a public place in the city. Her clothes would have been torn enough to expose a breast. Her hair would have been let down and all her jewelry removed. And passers-by, especially women, would have been encouraged to stare at the publicly shamed woman in order to make an object lesson of her. That was the potential had she been in a large city like Jerusalem. (laughs) And she knew how she was going to be treated in a little small town of Nazareth. I mean, it wasn't like she was, could hide out in a city like Chicago. She was in a little village. Perhaps the population wasn't any larger than the population of people in this room right here, right now. See? It was small enough for her. Nazareth was small enough for her story to stick out. Nazareth was small enough for her to be gossiped over, to be, for her to be taunted and for her to be ostracized. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, even when Jesus uh, was an adult, the innuendo lingered. I'm thinking of John chapter 8, when Jesus was having a spirited discussion with unbelievers, and you know they realized that <laughs> these unbelievers realized they were not going to out-debate truth in the flesh and so they just they just crept to innuendo when they said in John chapter 8 verse 41 well well we are not illegitimate children see and, and then what about in Luke chapter 3 verse 23 it's just a small little verse but Luke says in Luke 3:23 now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry he was the son and then there's that phrase so it was thought of Joseph wow see now see if Luke were trying to make myth seem real why would he put that verse in there see why would he do that it's, it, it's just too embarrassing right to 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 try to to try to make the myth about this grand Messiah seem like truth, Luke would never have put that in there. But that he did, that he did shows us this is real. This is true. And Mary went through all of this. Mary, Mary went through all of this without really knowing how it was going to play out, you know. I mean, sometimes I think we get this impression that, you know, okay, Mary realized that, okay, she's going to have a baby, and so she immediately runs over to the synagogue and flips open the Old Testament prophecies about where the baby was going to be born, and oh, okay, Bethlehem, she reads in one of the prophets, come on, Joe, pack up the mule, let's go. I don't think that's how it worked out. Why did she go to Bethlehem with Joseph? what, What reason could she have had to go to Bethlehem 
with Joseph. Other than that she had no place else to go. No place else to go. I mean, she had already spent enough time with Elizabeth, and and so it was time to leave there, but where was she going to go? I mean, Joseph could have gone to Bethlehem by himself. There's only... There's only two reasons why Caesar ordered the census. One reason was to find out how many taxpayers there were in the empire. And the other reason was to figure out who he could conscript for his army. And Mary wasn't going to do either of those two things. Joseph could have taken care of all that. She didn't have any place else to go. So she went. She went through all of this without knowing how it was going to play out. I love this quote by a pastor, uh, Frederick Beckner. Mary struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung now on the answer of a girl. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then in addition to all of this, what did the angel say? (laughs) You shall call him Jesus. Now that's unique. And here's why. When a baby is born, who gets to name the child? Who has naming rights? Mom and dad. Right? Not this baby. Mary, you don't get to name this baby. This baby names you. You don't get to call the shots here. This baby calls the shots. He makes the calls. And in doing so, her life is out of her hands. She must humble herself. I I am the Lord's servant means I'm going to do what I'm told to do. And no wonder, no wonder why One author called Mary the very first Christian. The very first Christian. See, Mary did all of this for Jesus before he would do all that he did for her. Before Jesus would suffer for Mary, Mary suffered for Jesus. And Mary, Mary would learn for the rest of her life that seeking after and hearing the voice of God's approval was a greater, greater act than hearing the chirping of petty people. And would you please remember that in your life? That our growth and our maturity is about paying greater attention to the voice of God's approval over and above the petty chirping of little people. Well, Mary's message is really a message that God wants us to hear. You know, there's the angel's message. 
There's Mary's message, and God's message is simply this. Speaking of certainty, God wants us to be certain about being his servant. That's what he wants. He wants us to live as Mary did, in humble submission to his will. So that you might know, verse 4, Luke 1, 4, so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. What have you been taught? You've been taught to be a servant. You've been taught to be like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. See, the fact of the matter is, anybody who wants to be a Christian must say what Mary said. We don't cut deals with God. We don't. We don't say, well, God, I'll follow you, but here's how I'd like to do it. That doesn't work. What works is, God, you're God, and we don't put conditions on you. And whatever you bring into my life, God, is ultimately for my good and your glory. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's what we need to say. And that's not only what we need to say individually. That's what we need to say as a church family. Any church that wants to be a Christian church must say what Mary said. And what that means for us is that you know, we, have to, we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to be a seed that exists for ourselves or whether we're going to be a seed that's planted in the ground which dies to be a blessing to the nations. That's what we need to decide. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me what you have said. I was so encouraged by uh, Celebrate Recovery Friday night as a portion of our worship time. Uh, our worshipers in Celebrate Recovery, uh, we, we had a time where we answered the question, what gift are we going to bring the Christ child? And we're not talking about money here. And so our worshipers came, and uh, I've uh, put this at the foot of the tree here, uh, a little uh, index card with little, um, little uh, bows that Carol Wackerlin had prepared, and, and just our worshipers just wrote, Here are, here's what I'm going to bring to you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to bring you my time. I'm going to bring you my past. I'm going to bring you bitterness. I'm going to bring you a phone call. I need to make a phone call to someone to touch base with them. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Maybe, maybe what we need to bring is what, is what that young man who went to Taylor University brought. The president of Taylor University in Indiana was, given, um, was giving a student from Africa a tour of campus. His name was Sam. And this was before it was commonplace for international students to come to the U.S. to study Sam was a bright student with great promise, and the school was honored to have him. And when the tour was over, the president of the university went to the dorm and asked Sam, where would you like to live? And this is what Sam said. He said, if there is a room that no one wants, give that room to me. And the president had to turn away because of the tears. No one had ever made that request before. If, there, if there's a room that no one wants, give that room to me. If there's a job that no one wants, I'll do that job. If there's a kid that no one wants to eat lunch with, I'll eat with that kid. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, I'll take that piece. If there's a parking space that's far away from the church, I'll park in that space. If there's a service time that's less convenient for people, I'll worship in that service. If there's a hardship that 
someone has to endure, I'll endure that hardship. If there's a sacrifice that someone needs to make, I'll make that sacrifice. Church, that's what I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's exactly what that means. That's what Mary said. And later, that's what Jesus would say in the garden. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Are you, are you willing to pray that prayer? Are you willing to let that prayer unravel your life? Are you? When you don't know what to pray, would you turn to Luke 138 and just pray that prayer? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare for communion?